Good morning, everybody. Welcome to the Despirito Team Real Estate Show. My name is Andrew Hogan. I'm filling in for Emilio Despirito today here on News Radio 920 AM, 1047 FM. We're joined by a few guests today who are going to kind of fill us in on what's going on here in the Rhode Island real estate market. But our first guest this morning is Paul Salcone. Paul is the sales manager and loan officer from North Point Bank in Providence. And Paul can be reached at 401 419 9291. Good morning, Paul. Morning, Andrew. Thank you for having me today. No problem. Thank you for being here today. We're going to, uh, you know, like you and I had talked a little bit about, where we're going to dive into some some loan options that you guys offer there at North Point Bank for for our buyers who are, you know, they're in their second time around buying now. You know, they're purchasing second homes, things like that. We obviously talk all the time about, you know, our options for our first time home buyers, which are great. But why don't you tell us a little bit about, you know, what the people out there listening can hear for uh, for our second time home buyers. Absolutely. So, as you said, as you mentioned, we always talk about first-time home buyers, and they're very important, as you know. But at the end of the day, there are a lot of people out there who already own homes that are looking maybe to sell their existing home and buy a new home, or maybe buy a second home altogether. So, I figured I'd talk about some programs today that are most, uh, you know, most common for that situation. Uh, you know, first and foremost, conventional financing. As you know, everyone, uh, you know, conventional is probably the you know the best program out there, arguably. I mean, it's geared toward repeat. You know, obviously, first-time home buyers as well, but repeat clients who are looking to, you know, maybe sell their home, put down a significant chunk of money. And with these programs, being a repeat buyer, the minimum down payment on a conventional loan is five percent, whereas you know, first-time home buyers three. So five percent down, but most of the time, people buying uh, another home or a second home are putting down more than that anyway. Um, usually, credit score-wise, you want to be in the the mid to high six hundreds. And like I said, five percent down. Um, it's you know, you can do a single-family home. You can also do multifamily homes. Those require up to 20% down. Um, beyond that, you know, if you're looking at a second home option for a, um, you know, for a repeat client, usually requires at least 10% down, even for a single family home. Um, that's kind of the conventional program in a nutshell. I mean, there are a couple more, um, you know, requirements in terms of reserves and things of that nature. But in general, it's, you know, 5% down or more credit scores in the mid to high 600s or higher and usually being a repeat client. So that's probably the first program. Um, you obviously work with this. Yeah, so Paul, on the multifamily side of things, is it is it minimum of twenty percent, even if it's owner occupied, for conventional? So here's the thing: um, on a two unit, you can do fifteen percent down, being owner occupied. On a three or four unit, it does require twenty percent down. So it's a little, you know, a little quirky, but that's kind of how that works. I mean, the two family sometimes fifteen percent down. Why that's important? Well, some houses, as you know, are not FHA approved, which you know have certain guidelines FHA has. So conventional will allow us to get into a multifamily home sometimes when, you know, the buy other sellers are saying, well, this is not FHA approved. So, you know, that that's where conventional multifamily comes into play the most. Um, second, you know, the second option, too, is FHA. And most people always think FHA is first time home buyer. True. Most first time home buyers, you know, will use FHA in, in many circumstances, especially with multifamilies. Now, with repeat clients. As long as you don't have an FHA loan already, that's the only stipulation here. FHA can be used. Typically, you can't have more than one house. There are a couple of exceptions to the rule, but normally, if you own an FHA um, loan already, you can't get a second. So if you're someone who bought a house you know, way back when and you may be a single-family home and you have conventional financing or another sort of financing, you can still buy another house now with FHA if you're going to live in it, even with 3.5% down on a multifamily. You don't have to be a first-time home buyer. 
Most people don't realize that. So keep that in mind. If you want to buy a two or three unit property, maybe you had a single family in the past, or maybe you have a another multifamily that you have conventional financing on, you can get an FHA loan, even not being a first time home buyer with a three and a half percent down, you know, which which obviously opens up some options for people um, in this market in particular. So, that, yeah. you know, yeah, absolutely. Especially when it comes to having to come up with that, you know, that high down payment when you're trying to get into a multifamily, having that option is, you know, it's a nice little reserve option for you. Absolutely. So that that's something there for repeat. You know, other programs that we talk about all the time and, and most people have heard of, you know, there are VA loans. There's also something called USDA loans. So, you know, VA loan is better. You know, it's for veterans. It's a great, probably one of the best programs, if not the best program out there. The reason being is even for a repeat buyer, technically you can put no money down. You have no PMI. And just for PMI is private mortgage insurance. If you don't know, um, PMI is required in all loans, typically with less than 20% down. Um, so that's something where if you're a veteran, have a VA loan, no money down or little money down, no PMI, and typically the interest rate's even a little bit lower. So that's a great program if you fit, you know, you fit that particular description being a veteran or, or a spouse or something, you know, related to the, to the military world. Um, beyond that, USDA, another great option. Um, it is something where USDA loans are only only allowed in certain towns in, in, in the state. Um, it's it's a loan where it's kind of like giving back, um, you know, in, in the areas where there are more, um, you know, wetlands and, you know, the Foster Rhode Islands and the um, certain parts of Coventry, areas where, you know, you can get a, a loan with no money down. It does require PMI. But the USDA Department of Agriculture will, will kind of give you a, a special promotion where no money down, you know, PMI is about the same, but it allows you sometimes to get into a house uh, with minimum out-of-pocket expenses. I mean, that that's pretty much the way to go. I mean, there's no option. Technically, you know, Rhode Island housing is out there. And people always think Rhode Island housing. Well, that's for first-time homebuyers. Right. Correct. Typically, it is. But there are some programs Rhode Island housing offers for conventional. They have conventional financing where you don't have to necessarily be a first-time homebuyer. They have programs that were underneath their wing. People are like, well, why is that important? Well, they do have some programs out there where you can go conventional financing, Rhode Island housing, and maybe put less money down um, on a multifamily home. So that's something else that most people don't realize. There are some Rhode Island housing options for non-first-time home buyers, and and that's something else that we offer as well. So, so Paul, for someone who's thinking about you know potentially going the USDA route, especially because I mean I think we can agree that that's probably the least common option that we're seeing here in our states for people go, you know going that route. What's some Correct. of the criteria that you know a prospective buyer needs can be on the lookout to try and take advantage of a USDA loan? Yeah, I mean at the end of the day, USDA loans the property has to be uh, in, in a certain there are certain towns. If, you, if USDA you would ha- we'd have to research further and you know what specific property, but normally certain towns they qualify. Like I've done one in Foster, Rhode Island. I mentioned that one as I did one there recently. I think one in Hopkinton. So th- it has to be somewhere where there's a certain amount of. I don't know if it's people per square foot or population. There, there are certain uh, statistics that the, you know, the town has to have, and then it, it basically it's eligible. Even if it's in that particular town, you still have to research that particular property. There's certain characteristics, too. Um, and again, when it was built and, and things of that nature, typically new construction doesn't qualify USDA. So certain things that have to be grandfathered in as well, um, certain maybe size of, of their yard. Um, you know, Again, there's, there's all things we look at. It can be done. Um, I would say in this market, it's probably going to be more difficult getting an offer accepted because they're a little bit more involved with the financing side is, you know, I want to say red tape, but there's an additional layer of underwriting that's involved because there's no money down. So at the end of the day, it is something that we can do. I still think that conventional should always be first. Obviously, FHA, 
is a great option as well, especially for people looking to put less money down because there's no restriction being a first time or a repeat home buyer. And then obviously, you know, you have the, the VA, USDA, Rhode Island housing. But last but not least, you know, one other thing I wanted to touch on quickly was with, um, you know, with repeat buyers, we have at North Point Bank in particular, we have what's called portfolio financing. And these are loan options for people that maybe, you know, don't necessarily uh, meet all the traditional requirements. Maybe they're self-employed, but their tax returns, you know, were a little bit light last couple of years, or maybe they own a business and they have a lot of cash deposits. These programs we have like bank statement program where we look at, you know, 12 or 24 months of bank statement history deposits. We'll take that into consideration. There's also, you know, uh, loans we have called asset depletion that will allow us to look at someone's retirement account and figure out, okay, what do we have left in retirement? You know, what we can figure out is a formula we use over 84 months, which is seven years of, okay, take what you have, divide by 84, and those are more retired people. We can use those assets to convert that into income. So there's many options out there, I mean, beyond the traditional. So that's why I wanted to touch upon, I mean, I know we can't talk about everyone in detail, but definitely things we can talk about with clients who are interested. Yeah, no, that's great. I mean, one of the one of the other things that I want to be able to educate the people on that are listening today, that you touched on a little bit earlier. You you started talking about PMI and about why you know any loan that's you know less than twenty percent financing um, is going to have PMI. What are the options for people out there who want to pay down their PMI and to try and eliminate it? Sure. So I mean, typically, I mean, the only exception is FHA. FHA you'd have to refinance altogether. But typically with conventional financing and even some of the other programs available that, you know, well, VA has no PMI, but conventional, let's just say, for example, when you bought a house, you put down three to 5% way back when, and now your PMI, you know, you feel with this market in particular, with the prices of houses increasing, you can ask for an appraisal to be done. And if we can show you have enough equity, because obviously when you bought the house, the house is probably worth less than what it's worth now. So if you wanted to do an additional, you know, um, appraisal, we can look at, you know, what it's worth versus what you owe and eliminate PMI even sooner. Because obviously when we base it on the original loan, we go down once it's at 78% technically, 80% is aligned the sand. Once that 78%, they'll take it off automatically. 78% of what you originally purchased it for versus what you owe. But if you want to, in this market, have an appraisal done, um, usually typically after two years, you can get an appraisal done and have the PMI eliminated even sooner. Because obviously, if you have a great rate, you're not going to want to lose that rate. So if you keep the rate you have currently, get to get the appraisal ordered. Now the PMI comes off as well versus doing a traditional refi where, yeah, you get the PMI taken off, but now you're subject to today's rates. So exactly. So, I mean, that, that that's a great option for people because obviously having to pay that, that PMI, which like you said, the private mortgage insurance, you know, it's just that extra money coming out of your account every month that if you bought your house, you know, if you bought it the right way, if you did it at the right time, you should you should really want to try and take advantage of that opportunity to pay it off. Um, so my last question for you, Paul, before we let you go here, obviously, with you being kind of right in the thick of it, this Rhode Island housing program, the 17.5 grant, realistically, what do you think timeline left as far as that's concerned? Do you think we have a good amount of that left to spend for these buyers trying to get involved here in the fall market? Do you see it, you know, coming to an end potentially soon? Yeah, I mean, what we're hearing, I mean, obviously we, we do, you know, trainings to in housing on a, on a quarterly basis. We actually had a meeting, I think it was in the end of July, and we, were we asked one of the questions we actually asked them, and they said to us, we anticipate it lasting through the end of 2023. They didn't say definitively, but they feel like it's going to probably going to be good until they're hoping until the end of December. Um, to 2024, they, they can't promise, but they're hoping the next, I would say next three months is what they're shooting for. And they may revisit in 2024. They haven't come to that you know, agreement yet but with the state. But it looks like probably, I would say, 90 days, 120 days, somewhere in that ballpark is what we're hearing for the uh, for the funds. So if you are interested in the program, 
you know, should take advantage right now because we have to register you. By registering you, we guarantee that money. If you're not registered, the, the funds could, you know, could all be used and now, you know, kind of left out in the cold. So anyone who wants to do this, I would say get on the horse now, you know, look into it, take advantage of it while it's still available. It's free money. Why not? 17500 How can you beat that? Paul, I want to thank you so much for being here today uh, and being with us as always. We love working with our partners there at North Point Bank. Paul Salcone, the sales manager and loan officer from North Point. You can reach him at 401-419-9291. Next, we're going to be joined by Ted Depuzis of Depuzis & Associates. He's a real estate attorney. Paul, thanks so much for being here today, man. Great talking to you. Thanks, Andrew. Have a great day. Thank you. You too. This has been Andrew Hogan with the Dispirito Team Real Estate Show here on News Radio 920th AM and 104.7 FM. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the Dispirito Team Real Estate Show. I'm Andrew Hogan filling in for Emilio Dispirito today here on News Radio 920 AM, 104.7 FM. Our next guest is going to be Ted Tapuzis from Tapuzis and Associates. Ted is a real estate attorney, and he can be reached at 855-451-0841. Good morning, Ted. Good morning, Andrew. How are you? Excellent. Thank you. How are you? Good, good. Not bad. Nice to be here. Good. Glad to have you. We're going to uh, we're going to dive in today to something uh, something that we're seeing more and more commonly pop up. You know, as as advisors, what we're seeing, and that's use and occupancy agreements. I know we had kind of met and talked a little bit about this before, but why don't you uh, why don't you give everybody a little bit of insight as to what that is? First of all, yep, uh, happy to. So many times when uh, when properties are sold and purchased, um, there's a little uh, flexibility that needs to be worked into the. Uh, the process and um you know uh, the closing date is you know kind of an arbitrary date that's picked you know let's say 30 to 45 days out sometimes longer um, sometimes less but um but lots of times um especially in recent times um you know with the lack of inventory the lack of um the next step being readily available um, you know, or, or you know, visible from, um, you know, when the contract was signed on your purchase or on your sale, um, you know, the other party might might not have their next step in place. So um, so what you see is you see these agreements that are that are contemplated or, or, or written even sometimes into the, uh, the the your purchase and sales agreement that that, uh, you know, the seller might need a little extra time to vacate the property or the buyer might need a little more time, uh, might need to have access to the property before um, the closing to allow for, um, you know, things to be moved in or, you know, work to get started. I don't know, whatever it is. I mean, honestly, I would never ask, I would never recommend um, a buyer to do work on a property they don't own yet. Um, until uh, until that closing takes place, that wouldn't be the right thing to do. You never know what could happen with that transaction. But but on a on a you know many times you see this where a seller will say, hey, look, I need you know a couple more days to get to uh, um, before I can you know move all my belongings into my new place, you know, or or arrange for a moving company or whatever the case may be. And so um, you know certain uh, allowances are made between the parties. Um, and uh, and that's really what the use and occupancy is. It's not a it's not a lease. It's um, it's just a, an agreement between the parties to say I'm willing to give you the extra time. Um, you know whether it's the seller staying on or whether it's a buyer moving in a little earlier. Um, you know if the, if the seller has that flexibility um, and uh, and allowing you know this this to be you know uh, worked out in the in the process. You know so usually these use and occupancy agreements um, are for 
you know, so the use and occupancy fee would be like a per diem rental, sort of. I mean, I nobody wants to use the term rental because that implies a landlord-tenant relationship, which just um, is not meant to imply. Um, it's just meant to give an agreement um, so that this flexibility could be provided. Um, and it can be at a per diem uh, basis, um, you know, for that, uh, uh, you know, call it rent, whatever you want to call it. Um, or it can be for no monies uh, paid, you know. And, and so um, some, lots of times, you know, we do see um, a, uh, an escrow uh, being pulled, you know, from the seller's proceeds to be placed um, in reserve, you know, because a walkthrough that's done on an occupied property is not going to look the same as a walkthrough done on, an, on a vacant property. I mean, it's just, you know, you don't, you don't, you don't see everything, all the details, you know, so, um, so you want to have, I, I recommend when I represent somebody on, on, on something like this, um, as, especially as a buyer, I, I definitely recommend that money be pulled to the side, um, you know, from the seller's proceeds to allow for, um, you know, like a, uh, sort of like a damage uh, deposit, you know. Um, so I know these terms are kind of loosely um, woven in, um, you know, to make it sound like it's a, a lease, but it's really not. It's just uh, it's it's an accommodation. So now, you see them more commonly on the buy side or on the sell side. You know, I probably these days, I think it just depends on the market. Um, but I think these days um, it's more on the where the seller asks for the extra time. Yeah. I really do. Yeah. Yeah. Because I mean, lots of times the buyer um you know has this is the place that they're coming to you know they might have they might be i mean i'll tell you a lot of times i'm making a lot of generalities here but you see a lot of times uh, the buyer has their own place where they're living in or they uh they're they're, they're moving from their parents house um you know that or you know that kind of thing and so um you know you you do see um, you know, where the buyer is willing to give the extra time uh, to a seller to vacate. So, and I do have, you know, and I, and I, I wanted to mention, you know, the, the reason for me bringing this up in, in our um, show today is because I had a, uh, and if you don't mind, Andrew, I'll, I'll jump right into the, uh, um, to an example, which it doesn't always happen this way. This is an, this is a, um, an anomaly. It's not, not, not the, 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 the commonplace, uh, uh, transaction. Usually everybody lives to their, the, the agreement. Um, the walkthrough is done at the end of this process and everything looks great. And the money that, that's, that's held back from the sales process is released to the seller. Um, unless there is damage that's done and, and that typically is worked out and resolved, you know, um, but every once in a while um, things don't go well. And, and so I wanted to give an example of one that didn't go well, you know, just to keep people uh, aware of, you know, the, the possibility that this could be an issue. So this happens to be um, a situation where uh, a buyer was represented by another um, attorney and uh, I represented the seller and the seller asked for the extra time. And uh, seller asked for, you know, said was confident at the closing, you know, that I can get out within the 30 days. As a matter of fact, I'm going to get started right away. But there was a lot of belongings um, and a significant deposit was put down, you know, in excess. Of, I think it was ten thousand dollars. And um, yeah, and even at that point, it just seemed like it was it was a lot. But but understanding that there was so much stuff to be removed, um, it seemed to be a reasonable number. And, um, you know. The time was given, you know, um, and then there was also a provision placed to say, in case you do stay longer, um, then you will have, um, you know, a uh, an exposure to a per diem 
um, that goes uh, in, in addition to um, you know the uh, the regular um, agreed uh, use and occupancy. So the uh, the the uh, we checked in. I checked in, and uh, and and the agent did as well into the um, into the status of our seller. Um, you know, with the with the move, I checked in a couple times. I actually even drove by the property a couple times, right? Which is really not something I typically do. Um, sounds a little weird, um, but but I, I did, and okay. uh, and I didn't get a hold of the seller. Um, I did see a dumpster, you know, and uh, I did see some activity, but I didn't, you know, was a, I wasn't able to confirm what was happening, or you know, because I wanted and the seller, or the buyer rather, was very eager to move in. So I wanted to kind of give the uh, the buyer a little feedback as to how things were going, and and so long story short, this um, seller didn't move, um, and uh, and and you know went way beyond the um, the duration of the use and occupancy agreement, and so exposed themselves to a loss of that deposit um, as well, um, and so. All, um, and this happened to be a client that I represented, and, and I, you know, and it wasn't a reflection on me or the agent because our uh, listing agent because um, the the client uh, didn't, uh, you know, cease communications with us. So um, you know that was the frustrating part. So you know you so the I guess the lesson to be learned on this is that um, you might think you know your client um, until something goes wrong, and then you know you you will never. These things are generally done in good faith, and and maybe this one started in good faith, uh, but we feel that uh, that you know it didn't it didn't necessarily end in good faith. So um, it's something to be aware of um, that there are risks involved, um, and that. Without question, unless you really have a good feel for that um, that that seller, um, you know, as a buyer, you really want to put a deposit down. Make sure that there's something there so that um, there's a motivation, incentive to move out. So now, in a situation like this, why not just why not just extend the closing? Okay, and Andrew, that's a great. Um, uh, um, point because generally I would say too, you know, why, why not just extend the closing to whatever that time um, is that that, that that this this party needs. Um, the problem we have with this um, escalating interest rate uh, environment that we have, um, the buyer's rate lock was going to expire. Um, it was extended beyond the closing date, um, but it wasn't extended further. Um, you know, out and it couldn't be because it was going to be a significant jump in, in costs that the seller didn't want to pay. Right. And I mean, so that's neither party. I feel like that's generally speaking, you know, and, and again, we're, like you said earlier, we're making generalizations, but like the path of least resistance in my, especially if it's the seller side of things where the seller is like, hey, I need another week or two, uh, you know, to not jump through the paperwork hoops of having to file the, the, the use and occupancy. There's just much less risk involved. You know, it seems like just, you know, if you can just extend it, you know, as, as long as, as long as it's not going to put the buyer, especially when it comes to financing in jeopardy, you know, there, it seems like there are paths of least resistance but it does these, these use and occupancy agreements we're seeing them pop up all the time all the time right now yeah yeah it's just and it's also a, a factor of what we've the circumstance like uh, this, this lack of inventory meaning that the sellers don't always have their place uh ready to to go and it's you know a domino effect really because you know you're uh 
you're you're um you you have to compromise somewhere and the and and there and these transactions are at times overlapping a little bit right so this is kind of, this is sort of an example of an overlapping of a, of a transaction where seller needs the extra time you know normally in normal environment you know the seller has is out broom swept condition you know like everything's all set buyer can take take a look and confirm everything looks good and then show up at the closing close and move in uh shortly after the closing but that's not what you have today. It's it's a different environment, and it's all a factor of lack of inventory. Yeah, and I mean, Ted, we could we could dive into this so much further because I, uh, we've all seen examples of this. Where, where I, I have a couple of instances right now where where there's things like that that are you know potentially going to end up coming up that we may need to look into. But um, you know, unfortunately, we are at our time for today. So I want to thank Ted uh, Ted Tapuzas from Tapuzas and Associates for being here today. Ted is our real estate go to real estate attorney. You can be reached at. 855-451-0841. Our next guest is going to be George Metz. He's the owner and operator of G Metz Moving and Storage. Ted, thanks so much for being here, man. Great catching up with you. All right, Andrew. Take care. Good seeing you. Okay. This has been Andrew Hogan with the Dispirito Team Real Estate Show on News Radio 920 AM and 1047 FM. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the Dispirito Team Real Estate Show. My name is Andrew Hogan. I'm filling in for Emilio Dispirito today here on News Radio 920 AM and 1047 FM. Our next guest is going to be George Metz. George is the owner and operator of G Metz Moving and Storage. George can be reached at 401 383 6349. Good morning, George. Good morning, Andrew. How's everything? Excellent. Thank you. How are you? And I just had to make a correction. 401-383-6399. Not 499. Sorry. No, no, not a problem. Just want to make sure everybody can get in touch with us. Perfect. We love that. Um, so today we're we're gonna kind of bridge what we were just talking about with Ted in our last segment. We uh we talked a little bit about use and occupancy agreements and you know what what to do in the event that we get to the closing table and whether it's the seller who can't get into their new property yet has to, you know, has to stay in, in the property that they formerly occupied for, you know, a week or two, or a buyer needs to, you know, they need to be able to move in quickly. You know, what, what can these people do in these options? You know, what, as far as storage is concerned, what can they do? You know, how can they rely on G Mets to kind of have them covered when they might not necessarily have full use of their property, whether it's yep. the one that they're, into or the one that they just recently sold correct so we we have recently actually just dealt with a, a very similar situation uh we had a client that was living in the situated area uh building a new home their home was under contract they ended up renting back the property for i think it was on a month-to-month agreement and what we ended up doing was we assisted the current um resident of the home that was the seller that had to move out because the new people moving in uh but again they did have a rental agreement in place but what they ended up doing was they were not allowed to use the garage the basement and then certain you know out, outside buildings so sheds in certain areas of the home the new buyers wanted to come in and start remodeling or, or painting and freshening up so there was some uh logistical issues that they had to worry about but for us we came in we emptied the garage we emptied the basement we emptied the shed we emptied the the rooms that the new homeowners wanted to stop painting and prepping so we stored i would say about 75 percent of that seller's property with us for just about um just under three weeks just about three weeks 
and we stored those belongings with us at our secure storage location and then the remaining items stayed in the home so on moving day instead of showing up in situate between eight and nine in the morning we didn't get out there until about 11 or 12 because we loaded 75 percent of what we had on the truck first then went out to the current home that they were living in that they had sold you know three four weeks ago um loaded up the remainder of it and then delivered it all to the new home all at once um so there's um that was just one of the options that worked for them but every case is different um you know we talk about this all the time you know what does an average three-bedroom house cost to move well there is no average three-bedroom home so everybody is different right so every every moving job is different for this client that worked out great for other clients you know they're still utilizing the whole home um some will just stay in it right until moving day and have us come in and move it all out where it depends on the arrangement and it depends on how flexible the client needs to be will be how flexible we will uh return on our side to make sure that their moving is accounted for on time at the right budget and they understand what they're getting into and we understand what we're getting into early enough in the process to make sure it's a smooth transition on the moving side. So the the sooner we know, the more options we can start giving our clients that even if it's a, hey, this might happen, just let us know because then we could say, okay, well, these would be our six different options for your one situation. And the next client that calls with a very similar situation may only have three options compared to that six. So every case is a little bit different. Um, but it's truly on the customer's needs. And so now in a situation like, you know, like the one that we're kind of describing here where the timeline is sort of variable, if you know that going into it, will that be handled a little bit differently than someone who's giving you a set schedule, you know, like a set timeline when when things are going to be in and out of everywhere? Like, we, do you guys have different ways of, you know, I guess handling would be the proper word? Yes. So one when you're a client you're always a client so you might have one of your clients call us and everything is set up today is the 12th let's say they're going to be moving on the 18th and we've had this date for a month now so we're going to go in we're going to do our packing prepping and loading on the 18th and then we're going to deliver on the 19th um at let's say between 12 and 2 because of closings and that is the current setup as of now and we get a call from you, we get a call from the client, hey, things changed, the moving date uh, can't be the 18th anymore, it got pushed back by one day, now that moves everything back. Obviously, we weren't potentially prepared for a change by a day or two, but it doesn't mean that we're gonna say, well, I'm sorry, ma'am, sorry, sir, we can't handle this, we're gonna figure out on our side what what we have to do, whether it's manipulate um one of our consistent clients we do a lot on the commercial side so we might have to call a commercial client and say hey instead of us getting to you between eight and nine we might be there closer to 12 or two or again we just add another crew to the to the job calendar and make sure that everybody is accommodated for and and has the proper staff and the proper understanding of what needs to be done per job um obviously if we had a pre-aligned schedule we understand that 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 can change literally sometimes even the morning off so okay. we we are always 
prepared to be flexible. Obviously, we would, we and the clients would much rather it be straightforward and right the way it is. But that's the perfect world. And real estate is not always perfect world, right? I mean, uh, we we would love to think that, but not all the time does it line up properly. But again, for our side, we're always flexible. And we're always going to make it work. Um, but obviously, the sooner we have that information, the better we could flex. And, and again, keep that communication line open with the customer so they know that they don't have to worry. They don't have to, on hour 12, try to find a, another mover because we couldn't do it. We'll always find a way when you're a client. So, and you guys always kind of finding a way is, is a good little segue here for the next point that I wanted to make. We're, we're seeing a lot of people, you know, in the last couple of years, the, the relocation aspect, um, you know, from state to state uh, with the way that people can kind of work from home now, you know, like they don't have to, they don't have to go into the office as frequently. They're able to work remotely. So, you know, like I know a lot of people who have relocated from Rhode Island to, to Florida, for example. So as far as long-term moves are concerned, what does GMET offer and how can our clients, you know, kind of be prepared when it comes to, oh, who, who's going to handle the, the move for us all the way down to Florida, you know? So how can someone be prepared for that around here? So so around here, um, well, I, I guess in general, right? Uh, specifically around here, you know, we have, I think, five, four or five different national companies, um, which are great, right? Um, they all have decent crews they but a lot on the national side are subcontractors so you you might get a great crew at your load location but it doesn't mean that you're going to have the same crew at your unload location um so for us when it comes to long distance one we provide a guaranteed price not to change unless you change something that has to happen in your move normally we say it, um, you know a date isn't going to change our price um, the things that might change it is we get out there again, we load that client on the 18th and we have a delivery date set for four days later um, or five days later to get them to Florida, depending on how quickly they can travel there as well. So we do a direct trip. We're giving a very small window, just like we would if we were locally. So if we were going out to East Greenwich today to do a move, our start time is between eight and nine in the morning. When we travel to Florida, uh, Arizona, we have gone to Texas, South Dakota, uh, Washington State, all of those locations, we give a window between eight and nine in the morning for an unload uh, on a specific day. Obviously, there are times where bad weather is hit. We've had a truck uh, get stuck in Pennsylvania for an extra day because they shut down one of the main highways about five years ago with a bad snowstorm. But the crew members were always in contact with the office and with the client so not only was the office in touch with the client hey our drivers are on the way unfortunately they're in a bad snowstorm and our clients are only you know a half a day in front of our guys so they're saying oh yeah we went through that same stuff we're we're, we're glad they're safe you know our belongings are our belongings but we'll get them when your guys are safe to travel so there's very um especially this time of year coming into that weather you have to have that into uh your factoring of how quickly can i get my stuff um, but also with us, we're doing more of a direct trip customized specifically for your client's needs versus a national company. Uh, and again, I'm not bashing national companies. It's just, you know, when you think about long distance moving, you're thinking about a national company, not a local company. We're a local company providing national services where a national company isn't going to provide the same level of 
knowledge because you, again, you have a client that's booking in East Greenwich with us. We're going to take them the entire way. No subcontractors. The employees that show up on day one are the same people that deliver them to their new state. Um, so not only is it the same crew, it's the same truck. It's getting loaded directly and we're shipping it directly. If they need temporary storage, obviously we could do that as well. Um, but again, it's it's a case by case, but it's custom to that client's needs. Well, and I mean, I think I think the best thing about all of this that you're talking about, and I think the thing that we can as as advisors that we can refer the and, and be the most comfortable in, it's the accountability that comes along with knowing that they're not subcontractors, that these are all GMETs certified, you know, they're employees of this company who we're familiar with, we work with, we know what we're getting this company. And at the end of the day, we know that we can, you know, we can talk to George, we can talk to the owner operator, we know who's overseeing our big long term move, we know that we have his stamp of approval, his guarantee on everything that we're sending out. Our our whole life is being shipped across the country right now. But we People at home where we come from, you know, where our roots are set in, we know that they have our back there. Um, so I think that's awesome, George. I think that we touched on a lot of good things. And I think that, you know, I, I know we certainly appreciate all, all of the work and the service that you guys provide. And we're always confident sending our referrals. Um, so again, thank you, George Metz of G Metz Moving and Storage. He's the owner and operator. George can be reached at 401-383-6399, not 49, like I said earlier. Uh, George, thanks so much for being here today, man. We always love catching up with you and uh, I look forward to talking to you soon. We'll see you out there. Thank you very much. Always, always a fun time. Our next guest is going to be Jen Jeeber from riblogger.com. Jen's going to be talking to us about the end of September festivals that we can look forward to. Uh, My name is Andrew Hogan. I'm filling in for Emilio Despirito here on the Despirito Team Real Estate Show on News Radio 920 AM and 1047 FM. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the Despirito Team Real Estate Show. My name is Andrew Hogan. I'm filling in for Emilio Despirito today. Our next guest is going to be Jen Jeeber from riblogger.com. Jen joins us very frequently to talk about what's going on here in our lovely state of Rhode Island. Jen, how are you? I'm great. Thank you. Awesome. Glad to have you on. We're uh, we're going to be touching a little bit on the end of September festivals today that are coming up and what everybody has to look forward to. Yes. And uh, of course, there's more than these five. I just picked out, you know, five different types of festivals, um, something for everyone. To begin, the Newport Mansions Wine and Food Festival takes place September 22nd to the 24th at Rosecliff. Um, you can explore the infinite variety of wine and cocktails while satisfying your palate at the annual food festival. Um, it's a, The three-day weekend event includes a lavish dinner, elegant Sunday festival brunch, and more than 20 seminars featuring wines and other libations from around the world. And after each seminar, guests will be invited to spend some time on the Rose Cliff grounds at the VIP t- tasting tent um, for wine and food samples. So definitely lots of wine and delicious food. And you can learn more at NewportMansions.org um, about you know the food festival. September 22nd to the 24th is also the Ocean State Bluegrass Festival and picnic at Farrick's Farm in, War- in Warren. Um, it's the fourth annual festival. It features music, workshops, food, and camping. So you can camp the entire weekend too. Um, there'll be open mic, there's raffles and much more. So gates open on Friday at 4 PM and you can either buy, I believe it's like one day, you can either buy like one day tickets or the whole weekend tickets and you can include camping or not include camping. So it's kind of fun to go and just stay at the festival the entire time. Mm -hmm. 
Um, Saturday, September 23rd, the R.I. Vegtober Fest returns to Trinity Beer Garden in Biltmore Park. Um, the rain date is September 24th. It's a fully vegan celebration. So if you're vegan curious or vegan yourself, um, definitely worth checking out. It features tons of samples from local breweries and restaurants. There's a vegan marketplace of artists, makers, food producers, and more. Um, and with your, your ticket, you get samples from each restaurant, uh, seasonal beer samples, and much more. The sessions run at 11 a.m., 1.30, and 4 p.m. Uh, Saturday, September 23rd is also the Exeter Fall Festival from 10 a.m. to 3 p.m. Um, it takes place at Yagu Valley Ski Area and features an artisan craft vendor area, food trucks, a bake sale, local authors, carnival games, children's entertainment, music, um, and, and a bunch more. It's just, you know, a great family fun event, something for everyone. And last but not least, this sounds really interesting. Saturday, well, they all sound interesting, but this one seems really um, a great opportunity to get to places you maybe never have heard of before. But Saturday, September 23rd and 24th is the Blackstone Valley International Food Trail Weekend um, at various locations in Blackstone Valley, Pawtucket, Central Falls, and East Providence, Lincoln, and more. Um, you can come experience food from over 40 countries, all within a short drive, walk, or bike ride across 10 cities and towns. The weekend features 80-plus restaurants, breweries, and farms. Um, many places will do exclusive specials, while others just invite you to enjoy their authentic cuisine. And you can grab a passport and a guide, so um, it'll give you the details of the restaurants, how to get there, um, at tourblackstone.com slash food trail. So, and, and if you just go to tourblackstone.com, you'll obviously be able to navigate to it, but that's where you can get your passport and your guide to all the restaurants and, you know, the distance in between. So if you wanted to make it a biking or walking or driving event, you can do that. Nice. That's awesome. It sounds like we got a lot of things covered here. Um, and it sounds like we've covered the entire span of, of, of the state too. We've got, we've got <laughs> going on in every single area here. We got the Rosecliff food fest, ocean state bluegrass fest. You have the RI Vegtober, which that's, that's pretty interesting. That's, that's something different and new and unique that I think a lot of people would be really wanting to check out. Exeter Fall Festival, obviously here in Rhode Island, being in New England, we get to enjoy the uh, the changing of the season, embracing the fall weather, uh, and then the Blackstone Valley Food Trail. Jen, this all sounds awesome. We got a lot of opportunities to eat some good food, have some good drinks, listen to some good music. It all sounds great. We uh, we definitely appreciate you being here with us today to cover these end of September events. And if you guys are looking for Jen, you can find her at riblogger.com to receive more info on all of these events. Jen, thank you so much for being here with us as always. Thank you. Have a great week. Thank you. You too. We'll talk to you. I want to thank Paul Salcone, Ted DePuzis, George Metz, and Jen Geber for being here with us today. I am Andrew Hogan, filling in for Emilio Despirito here on the Despirito Team Real Estate Show on News Radio 920 AM and 1047 FM.